Hello, everybody. This is Indina Maka for the 40th Year Podcast. If you're listening to this and you're a child under the age of 18, make sure you have your mom or dad or guardian with you as we proceed to discuss some topics that might be out of your realm of reach or might be explicit. In addition, because we live in a time where false media lives large, the conversations that I normally have is based on little research, rumor, hearsay, and allegation. So a lot of times you'll hear me say, this is alleged or allegedly, just so that we're all on our P's and Q's because I don't want anybody suing me for defamation because I don't have any money. So with that being said, let's get this podcast rolling. y'all welcome back this is Indy Damaka and this is episode 12 of the 40th year podcast again welcome um just a little bit of housekeeping um from episode 11 uh, more money more problems we were in the middle of my COVID update and I talked about SARS um as one of the other coronaviruses that has hit the globe with um media attention and I called it South Asian respiratory syndrome. Now, I don't want to make anybody who is Asian feel uncomfortable. Um, I really wasn't trying to make a joke out of it, but it was really a presentation about how misinformed that we have been in regards to the COVID-19. Um, SARS is really severe acute respiratory syndrome, and it is a strand of uh, coronavirus that is not as lethal as uh, COVID-19. Like both lead to death, but it seems like COVID-19 reacts like the flu on steroids, if that makes sense. It's, it, it really does some terror to your body. Um, I think the other day was a little girl from Michigan and she was the first um, child to die um, in that state. And it appeared that with her COVID-19 symptoms, she had a headache that she could not shake along with a fever, unfortunately. And so I know with SARS, the headache conversation doesn't necessarily come to pass. And with COVID, it seems like body aches and headaches are very prevalent. And so those were the only symptoms that she had. She had um, the headache that would not go away in a fever. And then she passed, unfortunately, um, prayers to her family in the state of Michigan in regards to that. But um, it was just in regards to the conversation that I had about France. And I wanted to be clear. um, It seems that some of you all thought that the president of France was elderly. And I don't know if that's just a joke for you all in France, because he's really my age. I think he's in his 40s and his wife is in her his wife is in her mid 60s. And so as I I did call her an old gal and I still mean it, it was just that the way that they were presenting their data to um, the world, the numbers were a lot lighter because they allegedly somebody from their medical community stated it, that they were giving the information for SARS because they thought the United Nation and who were confused. Nobody was confused. It looked like it was you all. 
And so at this point, it looks like the numbers have jumped in France, actually. So maybe you all are actually giving actual data this time. So I just wanted to be clear that his age, he's in his 40s and the first lady of France is in her mid 60s. You're like, how did they get together? It's really none of my business. You do your research on that. Um, next, I kind of want to talk about why I started this podcast, because, you know, as always, I like to address rumors and allegations about me. Um, and so one rumor that I heard recently was that an individual said I was doing the podcast to be popular again. Um, popularity is not on my radar. To be honest with you, this was really more of me being conscious of how the marketing and public relations community moves in regards to just promoting oneself. And so I was interested in the conversation of something called sonic branding. Um, sonic branding is really where you use the sense, uh, I like to call it that, the sense of sound to promote your company, your product, your service. And for example, you know, if you ever paid attention to a Coca-Cola commercial, they always make sure to have some sort of sound like opening up a can, opening up a bottle to give you the sensation of walking or just going to the store to get a Coke. And so for me, as I sat and thought, I thought, what can I do to get attention as a marketer, as an event professional, as a journalist, etc. So I thought all I have right now is my voice. And so I thought, let me share, share my viewpoint about certain things so that you can understand how I operate as a business owner, as a journalist, or just as an individual in the community. And so that was why the podcast was also started to just help change the narrative of community. Honestly, I mean, we are in a time where we are so divisive about everything. We can say girls versus boys, men versus women, um, LBG community against heterosexuals, non-Greek versus Greek, and it continues to go on. And so I just want to help in the process of bringing a more unified front. Um, I was also laughing about something like in my description for the podcast, somebody was like, well, I don't think she means to aggravate the community. No, I mean to aggravate the community because you guys aggravate me. You need to understand that I do get mad about circumstances that have something to do with me and others. I'm, I didn't say that just for kicks and giggles. I mean that. That's, I, I, if I'm, and I'm, that's why I said popularity is not on my radar with this podcast. It really is an opportunity to, for me to understand how podcasts work from my personal opinion and how quickly it transmits conversation and information globally. Because if I wanted to offer the opportunity to help produce someone else's podcast, I got to know what I'm doing, right? So that's really it. Um, it was interesting to hear people say that, but I don't, it's neither here nor there. I'm not really interested in what people think. I enjoy everybody who comes and listens to the podcast. I appreciate you. Um, if you're wanting to have a conversation, I welcome you to hit up um, the voice message button on my Anchor FM page. You just go to anchor.fm slash the 40th year. That's the number 40. Um, and there's a button that says message. You hit it 
and you send a message. The message could potentially be placed on my podcast if it's reasonable. Um, Now, some people were saying I did do voice messages. I never got a response. I don't know what you're saying, if that's true. And I don't know if Anchor goes through and listens to them before I do and delete them. Not throwing any shade. Anchor, I don't know how it actually works. So because this is the first time I introduced the voice message thing to the community. So if you're interested and you want to make a comment about the episodes and it could be a previous episode, too, um, you might have an opportunity to be featured on the 40th year podcast. Um, with that off my chest, let's get to the topics at hand. All right, y'all. So here is my weekly COVID-19 update. And this is just really primarily talking about the avenue of the states to start opening up commerce again so that we can get the economy back up and running. And so the first uh, state to do that is Texas. Uh, on Monday, they opened up their state parks again. And so it looks like uh, Governor Abbott, who is the governor of Texas, has laid out a strategic plan of what it will be like when um, people get back on the landscape um, starting this week. A lot of other states actually are um, beginning to open up their states on Friday. So you're probably thinking, well, what does it look like from your perspective in Texas? Um, Currently, right now, I'm not in Texas, actually, so I have to get my information from uh, news outlets um, in Texas. And so um, the CBS affiliate in Austin helped me kind of get an understanding of what exactly Governor Abbott um, is planning to do in Texas. Um, One of the articles state that he is allowing certain businesses to open back up along with um, essential surgeries to, I don't know if it's essential surgeries or just surgeries in general. It appears that they're wanting to, it just says restrictions on surgeries and other medical procedures are going to be lifted on April 22nd, which is today. And then on Friday, April 24th, retail stores will open with curbside pickup like restaurants have done. Abbott states that opening Texas will occur in stages. Um, Apparently, infectious infectious disease experts believe that the COVID-19 cases in Texas are expected to peak in early May and they don't want to open too early Um, to create a big spike in coronavirus. The one thing that I did take away um, from the situation is that it looks like the stay-at-home mandates that have been placed by county executives and their city mayors are still in effect, actually, um, even though the state is in the midst of opening back up. You're like, what does that mean, though, wholeheartedly? A lot of it has to do with how the businesses are going to be able to maintain in this new normal, because it's re- that's really what I wanted to talk about is the new normal that's going to take place 
as we start opening up businesses again and allowing them an allowing them to work because in Atlanta, they're letting a lot of their personal care services is what I call them. That's hairstylists, fitness centers, uh, nail techs, tattoo artists. They're all are going to be able to open, I think, on Friday. But the thing is, how will they open and will they reopen? Because they're asking to asking them to tend to their businesses in a different manner than what they have in the past. And so that's, you know, making sure that you have the cleaning equipment to do a deep cleanse each day. Because to me, it can't be weekly because of how many people you might want to have in there. They're asking you to stagger your workers so that there's not as many people in the facility as it may once be. Um, gloves and masks for workers, making sure you have the material to test your workers and possibly your customers. Um, at some point, my brother was telling me there was some retailer and I don't know what area of the country this is that they were trying to test their customers before allowing them in. And so if they were positive, they were going to put like a sticker on them, which I said they can't do that because that's goes against HIPAA. So that I don't I, I took that with a grain of salt, but that was some of the proposals that are coming from uh, like grocery because they're asking the grocery community to actually possibly close their stores and do like store pickup, same day delivery or shipping. Actually, like they are going to ship from the store. You're like, what does that look like? You would actually some of your favorite department stores actually do that. They have an e-commerce hub in, in their local store. So it can happen. It's just that, how would that look? And we have to think about safety first. So um, it will be intriguing to see how that goes. Um, I felt Texas was picked to go first because of the Bush family. Um, it's a lot of speculation, a lot of conversation in the street. I really don't want to go there, but you know, they call Texas Bush uh, country. And so for whatever reason, they probably did have their hand in pushing for Texas to be open first because of the oil situation. If you notice, um, crude oil prices in the U.S. has declined dramatically. They've never seen that before. There's many uh, cities in Texas that are are reliant on the oil community. So we need to get that back up and running um, so that we can see um, a better presentation of oil globally because it affects everybody. And so in, a, in another conversation, um, there's a lot of like cattle ranchers in Texas. And so if you've heard, there's a number of um, meat companies that had to close their doors due to COVID-19 hitting them very hard. There's one company called Smithfield. They have a plant in South Dakota. They had to close that facility for a moment to deep cleanse and I think look for new employees because they had a number of employees test positive. And so with that being said, the fact that Texas has a lot of cattle ranchers, I assume that that might be a new entry for them to come and open up shop and start manufacturing meat from their ranches. So that'll be interesting to see if that happens because Tyson chicken is also having issues too. That was another one and they're based in Arkansas. So, 
Um, I'm wondering if they're going to be opening new facilities or if they've made a point to fix those particular facilities that were um, closed for COVID. And so they said that we will see it in the stores. Um, the time that they gave was like within three weeks. I act, that conversation was like later last week. I actually said we'll see that this week, to be honest with you. Because move, meat moves quickly in the U.S. and so especially chicken. So and Tyson is a very a very popular brand as well as Smithfield. They do bacon and ham, I think. If I'm wrong, I'll let y'all know. Um, so we should see it on the shelves. But you got to also understand that some of your local grocers, Walmart, Target, they have their own facilities as well. And so they may boost up their presentation in the meat section as well. It might be more of the, the store's private label than the uh, like Tyson or Smithfield. So I don't want people to get concerned about it, but it's definitely a conversation to have. Um, I feel like that's the same thing with Georgia because they have a lot of farms and their farms. I think cotton is really prevalent in Georgia. So apparel and really like the medical mask and stuff, they might be taking material from Georgia. So it was important for them to get back on their feet as well. Um, so we just got to wait this out. It really will be a new normal for businesses. And I think that you guys have to come to terms with the fact that possibly some of your favorite businesses might not get back up and running. That's the biggest thing. I mean, it's literally this COVID-19 pandemic has really shook the room to the point that a lot of people will fall off because some people might not want to go through the process that they have to, to maintain the safety of their workers and the safety of their customers because they see an extreme liability to it. So only time will tell. I think the biggest thing for me was that um, the other day I saw on the local news affiliate, uh, NBC affiliate in St. Louis, where they were saying that it might be a second wave of the pandemic and that it will probably hit the Midwest. I don't really know how to take that when it sounds like you're telling me that could be a strategic move if we were to believe that this was biological warfare. I was more willing to listen to the fact that they said this could be a seasonal situation because they said that it, we would treat it like the flu. You know, the flu goes away during the summer and then pick back up late fall, winter. And so I think it's just we're at this point, we need to kind of figure out what exactly COVID-19 looks and how will it affect the community overall? Because we just are getting snippets at this point. So. And let's go to the next topic. Okay, y'all, I forgot to add this in my weekly COVID-19 uh, report earlier. I just want to remind you that the, the school districts in most of the states that are reopening to help with um, commerce, um, to 
build up the global economy again, the school districts are going to be closed for the rest of the school year. You're thinking summer school. I actually don't know. You would have to have that conversation with your child's teacher or another leader within the school district or private school. So at this point, most most have been asked to stay closed and really just any place where we're gathering as a community and where the conversation of social distancing just will not work. So that's like nightclubs, strip clubs, churches, um, sporting facilities, arenas, amphitheaters, they're still closed. And so at this point, to talk about a conversation of opening most of the states who are working to get their um, economy back up and running are doing it based based on stages. You just got to keep up with your government's website who handles the uh, COVID-19. I know um, for Texas, it's the Department of State Health services and so that's where they have all their information about the COVID-19 and like the executive orders from Governor Abbott etc so you just want to check your uh, state's website and just kind of go through the prompts to find that information out Um, be sure to call before you try to go at this point I'm hoping for the grocery stores they don't have them completely closed because I think they're doing a really good job in protecting like some of the places that I've been going to, they've been doing a good job of protecting their workers and giving them the stuff that they need. So I think we should be okay on that. But, you know, I say that with a tad bit of fear. So just make sure you call and see um, before you head out to your favorite business because they may or may not be open. Um, The next topic is about Rock Nation. If you're familiar with Rock Nation, it is a business of Sean C. Carter. You know him as Jay-Z. It looks like if you've seen it in the entertainment blogs and on TV, it looks like he's put his employees on furlong as well as giving them pay cuts from 10 to 20%. I was like, damn. I was like, well, you know, everybody's doing it. I was laughing at the article that I saw on one of the urban entertainment, um, they were like, Rock Nation is right along with JCPenney's and whoever else. It was like a ton of businesses, Macy's. I mean, they're furlonging and price cuts. I was laughing because it was funny because with who Jay-Z was before and to see who he is today, it was just to put him in that category of like a JCPenney's, a Macy's, uh, Wells Fargo, et cetera. It was kind of funny to me. Um, This article from Variety, though, really helped me get a better understanding of what Jay-Z and his team is going through up at Rock Nation. In addition, I had actually forgotten that Rock Nation was a partnership between Carter and Live Nation. So it further um, proved to me that Live Nation was really um, telling the truth about them going through their portfolio, which include Rock Nation Um, and like kind of just like trimming the fat. I also call it the purge, but the purge sounded bad when I wrote it. And so I know people are saying it, but it's still a purge out here. But let me give you bits and pieces of the article so you can get a better understanding of what they're going through at Rock Nation. According to Variety, 
Um, Rock Nation is a multifaceted management label publishing company established as a partnership between Jay-Z and Live Nation. It was hit recently with multiple furlongs and price cuts last month that extended across as much as half of the company. Multi-sources confirmed to Variety. Now, here's what's crucial. Reps for Rock Nation and Live Nation did not respond to Variety's requests to Comrade. Um, They said that the furlongs and price cuts, which sources said were in the 10 to 20 percent range, I heard higher, like 30 to 40 percent, but that might have been based on the company. But they said that this was extended across all departments, as well as the streaming service title where the sources said the affected areas at title was largely in the marketing events department. A source tells Variety that the company made the moves quickly last month as the crushing impact of the coronavirus brought two of Rock's primary financial pillars, music touring and sports to a virtual standstill. They said that most of those affected were lower level employees Um, Even though they said the company's former CFO, Gregory Resch, left last month um, and had moved on to an information tech company in Baltimore. Um, Jay-Z found Rock Nation in 2018, and he has offices in New York, Los Angeles, Nashville, and London. Um, It was primarily centered around artists and athlete management, along with label, publishing, touring, film and TV and new ventures. Um, This was the part that I thought was really interesting. I knew it was a partnership with Live Nation, but they said that Live Nation owns more than 50% of the company. But they said that Live Nation's chairman, CEO, Michael Rapino, largely leads the management of the company to Jay-Z. And its top officers, Jay Brown and Desiree Perez. Perez is the CEO and Brown is the vice chairman. And they both received those positions in December. Um, Live Nation itself also said furlongs and voluntary salary cuts earlier this week, although they were saying that was largely in their European decision and the latter for top execs, including Rapino, who will forgo his three million three million dollar salary this year. Uh, And that is really it now. That is what Variety said. And so it's a lot, as you know, it's a lot more conversation centered around it. Um, I didn't think it was just the European division. I also heard it was the American division and it hit the minority community hard because they said they were actually releasing Live Nation Urban. There is conversation that if you've ever paid attention to Live Nation, Live Nation handles a lot of your favorite Live Nation facilities and concerts. And so Rock Nation handled their consortium of events. And then you had Live Nation Urban. And let me read this article so you can get an understanding of what Live Nation Urban is before I get into it. Um, this article was from Billboard. It was like two years ago. Was it two years ago? 2017, I think it said. And this was the introduction to Live Nation Urban. Okay. Yeah, it was 2017. And Sean G, who is a founding member of management consortium Maverick and the lead manager for the Roots and and Jill Scott, is said to be partnering is partnering with uh, Live Nation to uh, create 
Live Nation Urban to set precedent in increasing uh, marketing and live events for gospel, hip hop and R&B events. G says at the very end of the article that he hoped by the time he hit 2019, he would be able to double or triple the amount of visibility for gospel, R&B and hip hop concerts. And apparently Insider said that did not happen. They actually decreased it, but they also said Rock Nation did too. It's a lot of bad, like, I don't know if I really want to go there in regards to stating a lot of the bad information about it. It just doesn't look like either Rock Nation nor Live Nation Urban was really for the black woman or for the Latin woman who was not willing to put up with what I'll say the wiles of the entertainment industry. Um, they said that both teams had problematic staff. I could go there. They said Rock Nation had problematic talent. And so at this point, they said that Live Nation was so concerned about the Reform Alliance that they wanted to go ahead and cut ties completely. But remember, that's an allegation. And that's just the streets talking. And so you're thinking to yourself, are you telling me you think Rock Nation is going to close? Like I said, I don't put nothing past anybody. And if Live Nation is not filling either teams and you guys are supposed to be helping them like increase their visibility with the minority constituent globally, I got to do something because we got to stay afloat. And so if they're trimming the fat like they're saying, and this is not helpful to me, he either need Carter is going to have to take 100 percent of his partnership and G will just have to try to figure out what he can do privately because they took on the lame Live Nation Urban. And so I'm trying to figure out, did they get cut first and we didn't hear anything about it? Because they have a really small team because somebody said it, another rumor was like it had got cut in half. All I saw was three executives, Sean G, um, somebody last name Lowry and somebody named Pinky. They were the executives. And I guess you have some people. They got some people under them. But I mean, we don't know. They just said it's been problematic. They have not seen the increase. They're actually fearing that the black community especially does not care for them because of the antics that are taking place at Rock Nation and Live Nation Urban. Like they said, for instance, they um, Live Nation had an issue with the way Rock Nation handles their merchandising. No, they called out somebody's name. Um, do I want to say his name? Mm, no, not really. They just didn't like him. They were excited to hear this one particular executive from another retail company come in and help Rock Nation with the merchandising. But something happened to where the man fell back. And I guess there might be some problems between Carter and this executive and the individual that they called out for being problematic. Because I, the reason why I bring this guy up is that he has connects in St. Louis and it seems like Live Nation might have to press criminal charges on some in individuals from St. Louis on what it appeared to be mm, like corporate identity theft. Like they're saying, oh, my name is so-and-so and I work for Rock Nation or I work for Live Nation and it wasn't true, that type of thing. 
And I was like, ooh, St. Louis, back at it again on that bullshit. But as a victim of identity theft, I had to keep my eyes and ears open to see if we could find names. And uh, I still haven't been able to get names yet. Because if you can do that to a corporation, more than likely, you're probably the one who did it to me. So I just think it's at this point, Carter and his team and G and his team have to come to the table to try to figure out what they can savage, if they can come to the table and salvage anything um, at this point. Because at the, we don't know when we'll be able to open the doors to event venues. And so, I mean, his whole, I mean, like for Carter, his whole thing is deceased in my mind, but that's the same thing for Live Nation. The, the NFL was talking about that they're still wanting to go ahead and think positively and still work towards the 2020, 2020 and the 2021 season. But what will that look like if they're not able to use the arena in the manner that they once did? Because it would have to become a virtual event. And like even for me as a person who does events and my focus is CPG, I can anticipate that I will not be doing any experiential or any live events for a moment. And so my whole event division is basically deceased. Like I realized that I went through my service list and just like Xing through stuff. And all I had was one. I mean, there's no point of me talking about it for real. But I mean, I got to keep my head up and try to find other ways to, you know, make money in this season. So everybody is having to come to the table and realize that they're going to have to go and like purge their stuff out and you might have to recreate because I'm not a fan of virtual events. It's just not something that I am passionate about. And so I'm grateful that there are people in the event community that are passionate about doing those sort of things. Unfortunately for a Carter, for a G and for me, we just got to kind of sit down and figure out what the next steps are. And that's the same thing for Live Nation. They're basically at a standstill. Now, if they have like if their if their facilities have food services, they could make it into a restaurant. But then how does that look? I don't know. It's just it's one of those things. I just think we it was just shocking to see that happen to Carter. And I think for me, it's really just the fact that he was considered hip hop's first billionaire. But she, I mean, shit happens, I guess I should have just uh, took it for that. But that's all I got for you guys today. Hopefully this was good for you and that you found some information that will help you. Um, please come back. Uh, I will be up and ready for y'all on Wednesday next week. God willing. I'll see y'all later. Bye bye now.